that, uh, that you have and are having a, uh, a good break this spring, if, uh, especially if you're a student or a teacher, member of the faculty or staff in any form or fashion, I hope that, that, uh, that you are having a, a relaxed time. We're still, we still have a lot of people out who some were able to take the first part of the week and we have some that are able to take the last part, but so glad that, that we, get that, we get that break. Jan and I got back from Austin uh, yesterday we had a good time with our family there that uh, and uh, very nice that Samuel got to come see us uh, again I know that you know this but I just had no idea that being a grandparent was going to be like this I don't see how a grandparent ever gets anything done like I don't I, I, I know where I want to be all the time and that's all I want to do as I uh, allow God to uh, prepare me and to prepare a message in me, uh, a message that he has for this body, I've shared with you many times that it comes in various ways. It comes in unusual moments. And this one is, is no different, but it always comes from the same voice and it always comes with the same anointing. Because the anointing is actually the Holy Spirit's reality upon these words. It's the Holy Spirit's reality that comes and says, this is the gift I'm giving you. This is the truth that our hearts need to hear, that our minds need to process, and that our spirits need to receive. That's what the anointing does. It moves it from words to life. It moves it from, from just chapters to healing. And I pray this morning, as I'm standing here as we're singing, and just with my arms raised and looking up, and it, it's, it, I, I can't even describe what it was that I was seeing. But I, but I understood that, that the light, the power of that light, the illuminating reality of God was descending on this place. There's nothing deeply profound about what I'm going to share as far as just the truth is, is by itself. What makes it profound is what it does in us, what it does in you and what it does in me. Because it has the design by the heart of God to set someone free. It has the design by the heart of God to, set, to, to open the, the prison doors, to take the chains off of someone. It's a simple truth, but I promise you it's one that uh, we, we rarely practice and one that, we, that should be our absolute, everyday, normal life before the Father. On Thursday, Jan and I were looking through some old books, and, and one particular book caught my attention. As, as Jan and I were making our way to Austin on Wednesday morning, I got a phone call that, uh, that my uncle, my mother's sister's husband that we've been very close to all these years, was not expected to live. He said, we don't know if he'll live 30 minutes or three days, but he's not going to make it very long. So we changed our route to Austin and went through Comanche and visited with the family and, and realized that, you know, it wasn't going to be long. So uh, I talked to, to Bobby, my, my mom's sister, and we talk, she just mentioned a little bit that she'd like to, for me to, to preach the service whenever it was. So when we were looking at these books, this, this one book really stood out. And the name of the book was For, For the Tough Times, and it was written by Max Licato. It was in, 
I've just only gotten to the introduction. I just opened the book, read, began to read the introduction when these words uh, came up and from this scripture. This is what it says. This is Psalm chapter 11, verses 3 and 4. When all that is good falls apart, what can good people do? When all that is good falls apart, what can good people do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord sits on his throne in heaven. This is a psalm of David, and we're going to take a look at this psalm in just a few minutes. But I, I use this scripture as the closing remarks on Saturday morning out at Seep Spring Cemetery, uh, where James was, uh, where the service was, where James was being buried. And we said, we said goodbye to this uh, wonderful man of God. Uh, James was a man that, that it was in his obituary, profoundly true. He never met a stranger, uh, loved to talk, loved to tell stories, loved to tell jokes, but uh, also loved to serve the Lord. He was just a, really a good man. As I was preparing for this morning, my spirit kept bringing me back to this scripture. And as I know, as I have just come to understand, when God's bringing it back and bringing it back and bringing it back, it was not only relevant for sharing yesterday morning, it's relevant for sharing this morning as well. And uh, before I get into the scripture, I, I want to make sure when, when someone has influenced the message very strongly, whether it be Bill Johnson or, or the, the young man that I've been reading named Chris, Chris Vallotton that has just really spoken volumes to me over the last few weeks and months. Because when someone of that influence, God uses to speak to me and bring this truth, I want to, as best I can, to acknowledge that, that teacher, that person that, that spoke the truth. The commentaries that I study online, there's one guy that I keep going back to, and his name is David Gusick. I, I will tell you this morning that as I studied this passage, God said, this is the scripture. So I started looking at it, and it was at, in his commentaries that the, so much of this truth came out. I'm so grateful that God uh, chooses to release into the hearts of these men and these women such profound truth and that we get to benefit from it because I know when God uses it, it's not David Guzik who is the teacher, it's the Holy Spirit. I receive it from the Holy Spirit. It becomes personal to me, and I share it the same way. He's the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara, California, and uh, has been writing these commentaries for over 20 years, and uh, he's very, very wise. But why is this scripture so relevant? Very short. Why is it so relevant? As I, as I shared last week, that God asked us a question a while back. Ask us if we would become an emergency room for brokenhearted people. And I went through a, a, a lot of that last Sunday morning talking about that history and the scripture that was behind it and God's question asking, would we receive this mantle to help those who are brokenhearted, to, to help those whose lives have just been run over and how the church several years ago, actually five and a half years ago now, kind of stood with this common yes and said, we will become what you've asked us to become and we will minister and love the people that you send us. And I pray that that has been true and that it will continue to be true because 
Many are the most of the people who come here. All of us, some, by some degree, can understand that first part of that, the scripture when it says, when all that is good falls apart. When we hear news like we heard this morning, now, every one of us have had moments, maybe not that tragic, maybe not that severe, but every one of us have had those moments when the news was handed to us. Every one of us have had those moments when, it was, when, that, when that phone call came, when the message came, and our hearts were broken. Most of us know what it feels like when David said, when all that is good falls apart. In my office, week by week, I hear the weariness caused by struggling marriages. And it is a true weariness that sets over husbands and wives when the marriage just isn't working very well. They're trying hard, but it's just not working, and there's a weariness that comes. I hear the frustration of finances when a couple just can't seem to make it work. I hear the sadness of broken hearts. And I hear for so many that all that is good has fallen apart. And they sit there broken, sad, dejected, what, whatever, it, it, whatever it is, I hear it week by week. I want us to go to, to Psalm chapter 11 together. I want to read this same passage out of the King James and, and, uh, and then there's a few things I want us to get. Because David does something here that is profound. He does something that every one of us need to learn and very quickly need to learn to practice. Psalm chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. <clears throat> In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from them the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Well, again, David had a reason for writing this song. What we get is a bit of history, is that this, uh, this, this psalm speaks of what most broken-hearted people hear when they start seeking advice from Christians and non-Christians alike. Because David begins this, and he, he makes this announcement, in the Lord I take my refuge, and with indignation he says how then can you say to me flee like a bird to your mountain David Guzik writes the psalm records what looks like when well-intentioned but faithless people give advice to David when he was a fugitive from Saul so when David was anointed king we know what happened he I'm sure David when he received that news would do what you and I would do he would think of a palace, he would think of the, of the prestige, he would think of the power, he would think of the position and the privileges that this would give him. But as soon as he was anointed king and, and he killed Goliath and became 
more popular than Saul, he ran for his life. And he did so for many years because Saul was determined, knowing now of David's popularity, knowing that David was to be the next king, that Saul was very committed to kill him. And we read those stories of all that David did trying to elude King Saul. And his friends come to him with this advice and say, do you not understand how hopeless this is? Do you not understand you know, you know, the situation that you face? Do you, know, do you not understand the odds that you're going to have to overcome? David, let us give you some good advice. If you really want to do this, just run for the hills. As I was studying this, some of you might have seen this movie called The Knight's Tale, and Heath Ledger is the star in this, and, and at the end of this movie, his, fault, his true identity comes out, and his false identity is exposed. And, he, and all of his friends are, are telling him, he goes one at a time around this circle. What did every one of them tell him to do? Run, run, William, run. What was his answer? I will not run. I want to tell you, David's friends were giving him the best advice they knew to give him. The odds were awful. It was his life that was on the line. And David announces with this proclamation, God is my refuge. There is nothing bigger. There is nothing stronger. There is nothing greater that could ever come against me that God's not big enough as my refuge to protect me. I dare you tell me to run. I dare you to tell me to go to the mountains and to just get out of the way. I dare you. With great indignation, David responds to what his friends, and I want to tell you, for most believers, when you go trying to get advice, very few will do what David did. Because most of the time what Christians do for other Christians and for those non-Christians alike is to give them the very best answer that our minds can think of. And David's friends were trying to save his life. They were well-intentioned. They wanted him to be okay. And so the best advice that they could come up with was, David, you've got to get out of here. You've got to run for it. But David knew something, and, he know, and, I, and we know it as well. Most of the time, the human advice that we give someone is what David knew also, that this advice was based on fear. And sadly, so is so much of the advice. Because stating and proclaiming the reality of God puts us on the line. What if his friends would have told David, David, whatever you do, don't run. Whatever you do, you trust the God who's bigger. You trust the God who's stronger. You trust the God who loves you. You, you trust the God of promise. David, you, you trust those things because now they're having to proclaim the truth about God. And what happens if something happens to David? Then it's them who's on the line because I told him to stay. I told him the power of God. I told him about the goodness of God and about the love of God. And now something's happened to David. And, it, and I'm on the line. I want to tell you it's so much easier to give an answer based on fear because it keeps me out of that position. I'm not on the line if I tell you to run. I'm not on the line if I tell you to get out of here. I'm going to tell you this morning, sadly for most of us, 
for a young man who's on drugs, a young woman who's on drugs, the best advice of, 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 that we can come up with is let me see if I can get you into rehab somewhere. Let me see if I can get you some help. Because what would it sound like if we said, if you'll just come and let us expose your situation to the power of God, you will overcome, you will, you will be victorious, and you'll look back on this day and never have to wonder about that addiction again. What happens if I make that proclamation? I'm on the line. My faith in God is now, is, is now being stated and clearly stated that I believe the power of God is greater than rehab. And I don't speak against rehab. If that's what people need to do, I'm all for it. And we've sent people because that's, that's, that was what God instructed us to do in that moment. And we knew that it was right. But I tell you what, it takes great courage to make an announcement that God is big enough to solve your biggest problem instead of just giving you advice and trying to get you some help because we don't want to put ourselves on the line. Most, most of the advice we give is because we don't, want to, we don't want to state the reality of God and live, up and, and live with it. He had lived on, 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 on the run, and King Saul had been after him because of his popularity. But he reacts with that passion and says, how can you say to me, flee to the mountain? Again, his friends intended well, I read this in a sermon by Charles Spurgeon. He said he would, David would rather dare the danger than to exhibit a distrust in the Lord as God. Wow. Several years ago, in, in, a, in a series of very strange circumstances, I had someone threaten to kill me. It had never happened before. Uh, it rattled everything in me. You begin, to, you begin to look over your shoulder and you begin to watch and you begin to wonder. And boy, somewhere in the middle, I, uh, Janice was, was when, back when Janice was alive and Janice was in the hospital. And uh, in and out of her room, and I can remember, I could probably go to that, to that room and that place in the hall when, when God says, am I bigger or not? And the peace that came over me in that moment was that, and I want to tell you, you, you can threaten my life, but I want to tell you who you're threatening. Because it isn't me. I can't retaliate. But my God is the God of vengeance. He's full of love and grace and kindness, but I guarantee you he doesn't like you picking on his children. And you can... I can promise you, we, we either rest in the reality of God's ability to protect us or we live in fear. I have succumbed to that fear so many times. I've shared those with you. I could go to the doctor and, you know, I, I, I could have a place on my finger and, and, and for me it would be cancer. I am so glad, so glad that, that God patiently grew victory in me over that fear. I, that I don't have to live in that fear anymore. I will go home when God says it's my time. I either trust that or I live in fear. I just don't want to live in fear anymore. It's too hard. It's too long. It's, it's weary. David continues and says, for look, I'm sorry, this is his friends. 
they're coming back now after, after he says, I dare you to tell me to run to the mountains. They come back and say, for look, the, the wicked bend their bow. They make ready their arrow on the string that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Those are the words of David's friends. What are they trying to do? What does this sound like? I mean, David has already responded, I dare you to, to tell me to go to the mountain. And David's friends are saying that there is nothing you can do about the situation that you face because there are those whose arrows are already set to kill you. There are those whose plans are already to destroy you. And David, if, if the righteous be destroyed, what are we supposed to do? If you're, if you're killed, what are we supposed to do? And they're coming at David with every ounce of urgency they can because they want to do something. They want to create the same fear in him that they have in themselves. And I want to tell you, that's what most advice does. It's because we want whatever urgency or uncertainty we feel, we feel a responsibility to pass that on to somebody else. They were saying the enemy has you trapped. There's absolutely nothing you can do to, to overcome this. There is no hope. And to them, the only answer was run. It sounds very familiar to what Peter was telling Jesus when Jesus was in the upper room and started telling them that I'm fixing to be killed. They're going to take me. And immediately Peter, as we would expect Peter to respond, he stood up and he began to rebuke Jesus and say, it will not happen. And Jesus, face to face with Peter, says, get thee behind me, Satan. Not, he didn't say you're demon-possessed. He didn't say you're under demon control. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. And he goes on to explain, why did he say it? He said, Peter, you're agreeing with the minds of men. And you're not agreeing with the mind of God. What are his friends doing? They're in agreement with the mind of men. And they're not stating the mind of God. The mind of God, David is coming back and saying, God, my God is my refuge. That's the mind of God. And David comes back now to, the, to their claims of trying to strike fear in David's heart so that he will feel the urgency that they feel. And he comes back and he says, my God is still in heaven. My God is still on his throne. You notice he didn't try to answer the question with an answer. He answered the question with a proclamation. He by faith stated something that was absolutely true. And that's the gift I would like to give you this morning. When, when, these, when things are coming against you, don't try to answer the questions with an answer. Answer those questions that are coming with you with the proclamation that God is in heaven, that God is on his throne, that God loves me, that God cares for me, that God will not forsake me. There's never going to be a moment when his hand isn't able to protect me. And we can make announcements and not have, and not have to have the conversation. This is one of those first steps in spiritual warfare is learning to proclaim the truth of God when there's a question instead of trying to answer it. Boy, David was, I mean, he was on the money. He came back and he told them. He told them very abruptly. His friends were saying they, they may shoot at you. 
I, I'm, I made a note to myself in this because this is one of those that I hope, this is, a, this is an editorial comment of what was going on in, in, uh, in the story between David and his friends. I have over the last six and a half years de developed a real, I, I'm, I'm, I, maybe hatred is too big a word, it's a, a severe dislike for people trying to manipulate other people. I hate it. I hate the deceit in it. I hate the lies that are, that are necessary in it, the distortion that's in it. And I want to tell you, it is, it is an, you know, it's one of those tools that you, you, when you see it, you know it. If, if you have any discernment about you, you're going to recognize that manipulation. When you can tell when the tears aren't real. You can tell when the voice is soft in it, there's, but there's no heart behind it. There's no brokenness behind it. You can tell when you hear the lie that's designed to, to, to make someone be stirred to anger. I can tell you there's a lot of angry people in the United States right now, and they're all, it's, it's happening because our minds are being, are, 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 are being filled with things, and it stirs these, these deep things within us. I want to tell you, as believers, we are not to be a people who manipulate others, and we are not to be a people who can be easily manipulated. They were trying to manipulate David. They were giving him things to, to manipulate him and to get him to do what they wanted him to do, and David had the good sense and the discernment to to not accept it, and he refused. And then when, that, when they, they come back and say with that question, if the foundation is destroyed, what, when, when all that is good falls apart, what are the righteous, what are good people supposed to do? And David doesn't run from that question. He answers it with that proclamation of faith and says the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. God, I want you to listen to this, is strangely unaltered by your situation. God is not rattled by the storm that you're facing. God is not adjusting himself to your situation. He is not frightened by your circumstance. He has not gone anywhere and he will not vacate his throne because of what you're facing he is unaltered. He's not insensitive. He's not uncaring. But I want to promise you, I'm glad that we can look into the face of God and realize that he is unchanging, even though my world seems to be spinning out of control. I want to be able to look at one point. I want to be able to look tr true north and realize it's not moving. I want to be able to see it. I've told you this story before, but it's just so appropriate. In the, in, the, in the battle for Fort McHenry, when this United States flag was commissioned, the instruction to Betsy Ross was, I want it large enough so that any soldier, anywhere, anytime that he's fighting, will be able to look at the top and, and see that flag still flying, and if, as long as it's flying, they'll keep fighting. They needed one point of reference to know that though in my circumstances everything is awful, I can look up and realize that, that, that the battle is still raging and we are still winning and to keep fighting.
I want to tell you, God sits as, as that banner, and we can, we can look in one direction and realize he is unmoved so that in, in my circumstances, things may be out of control, but the reality is I can, I can look up and realize to keep going, to keep fighting, to never surrender, to never give up, because that banner will not come down. I was so shocked when we were standing there looking at it years ago, at the enormity of it. I mean, it's not, it's not like the flag that we unfold. It would, by my guess, it would probably be as wide as this front pew and probably about six or seven pews deep. That's the size of that flag. It just, it was in a in room, it was being laid out and, and, and repaired, but it was a massive flag. I want to tell you, our, our banner is unmoved. We don't address fear with advice. We address fear with a proclamation that states in absolute terms the mind of Christ. Am I saved? By faith, I asked him to save me when I was eight years old, and by faith, he said yes. Am I where God put me? Yes. By faith, I stand here on his revelation that I am to be the pastor of this church until he says otherwise. Am I delivered? Yes, in Randy's office on January the 17th with Randy and Kendall, I asked God to remove my old name. He said yes, and I will now and forever live free and under my new name. That's Bridger's testimony. Paul, are you afraid about this, about this, you're about to die in the shipwreck? No, because by faith God has spoken that I will preach in Rome, and if, and if that's true, then I have no reason to fear right now answering the questions proclamations of faith. David's fear fades into the reality that God sees his situation. David knew that God knew what he faced. That there was absolutely nothing that was going to happen in David's life that would catch God by surprise. And when David considers the God he knows and the God he trusts, when David understands God's purpose for him and how it was revealed by the anointing, all of those things overpowers the fear and the danger. He knew what he knew, and his answer was faith. We know what we know. Our answer should be an answer of faith. Do you know God loves you? Yes. Answer uncertainty with that do you know that god will never leave you yes answer fear with that do you know that god sees you yes answer fear with that do you know that that he he knows the number of hairs on your head yes answer fear with that he knows me that personally he knows me that intimately he saved me he said yes answer fear answer uncertainty answer doubt Answer confusion by these proclamations and say what you know in your relationship with God. The absolute worst thing we can do is begin to have a conversation in our head and try to answer fear with an answer. Answer fear every time with faith. I look around this room and I know some of your testimonies and I know that you know well how to do this that you know how to answer these moments of fear with great faith.
I want to I point out one. Actually, there's two in this story. I have, uh, I've been to Jolene's hospital room on more than one occasion when, when, when the news was not good. And I watched two women. And I don't know exactly, I, I can't do exactly what I see them do. I don't, I don't have that move. But, but I, I see that strength. It's like, it's like it, it just rises up, shakes, they shake their shoulders and say, I don't care what you said. I know who God is. He's proven it and proven it and proven it and proven it. And you can say what you want. You can give me the diagnosis you want. You can, give me, you can tell me anything you want to tell me because whatever you tell me is not bigger than the God I know. And they live it. And you watch him. And you watch him. And you watch him. See the same thing in Robert and Joanne. They know what they know and that God is bigger than any report. He's bigger, stronger, more loving, kind than any bit of news that anybody can give us. Answer fear with these proclamations of faith. Jay, I'm going to get you and the team that sang to come back and do those last two. Uh, 